My name is Ellie Morrison, and today we are going to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. And if you are able, um, please stand to honor God's word. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John the Baptist with water, and you have baptized and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when you... When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witness, witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Sumeria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he... He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the, this is the w- word of the Lord. <laughs> Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, what we, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us for the sake of your son and in his name we pray these things amen all right well we are continuing a series that we began at the beginning of this year we take we're taking a break if those of you who've been with us for a while you know we've been in the gospel of john for a while we're taking a break for a few months to spend some time considering the uh the vision the mission and the vision that uh we as your elders have uh, have been developing and, and, and talking about and, and praying about and have rolled out to you. We wanted to give you some opportunity to hear from us about what it is that we think are the elements, what are the things that this, these, these, this vision consists of. Just as a reminder, our, our mission uh, is, is this. Our Lord Jesus Christ commissions us to glorify the Father by making disciples as we go into the world, gather into his church, and teach the church to obey his commands by the Spirit of God. So you can hear in that mission the three elements of going and gathering and teaching. And we began this series back at the beginning of January talking about the glory of God. Joe spent a couple of weeks laying out uh, the essentialness, if you will, of God's glory. And that everything we do is for his glory. And that everything God does is for his glory. And so it makes sense that as we as the church endeavor to do what he has called us to do, the primary reason for which we do it is to bring glory to God. And then we've uh, made a transition. Um, Pastor Chris spent some time um, going through the mission in detail and really just explaining that it, it comes from, from the verses that we say together at the end of every service comes from the Great Commission at the end of, of Matthew's Gospel. 
And uh, so this idea of going and gathering and teaching all flows from the Great Commission. And then last week, um, Pastor David kicked off what we're going to do for the next several weeks, and that's talking about this idea of, of going. The first thing that we're, that we're doing as we, as we endeavor to, to fulfill this commission is that we go. We, we make disciples by going and gathering and, and teaching, and the first thing in that list is going. So he spent some time talking about that, and we're going to talk about that some more over these next several weeks. This, that part of the vision um, goes like this. We glorify God in going to our neighbors and the nations, praying for the lost, sharing the gospel, and planting churches here and among all the people God calls us to. And you can hear in that, in that part of the vision statement uh, some of the elements of, um, of what it means to be a church that is going. I think in a sense that, act, that, that answers the, the what question, what is it that we are to do? Uh, I think this morning and over the next several weeks, what we're going to want to talk about is um, more of the how. How is it that we go about doing this? As we are going, what is it that we are, we are doing? And as you heard this morning, as Ellie read from the first part of uh, uh, the beginning of, of the book of Acts, I think you may have already gotten a clue as to what that might be. We can really say it in just a word, and that word is Witness. As we go, we are to be a witnessing church. We are to bear witness to what God has done, bear witness to God's glory and, and, his, and his moving in, in us and among us. That's what we are called to do. At least that's one element of what we are called to do as we, as we go. Uh, it's interesting to me. Um, if you know anything about the book of Acts, it's written by a guy named Luke. Luke also wrote a gospel. Um, in fact, if, if, you, if you have your fingers still in the book of Acts, if you want to flip back past the Gospel of John to the end of Luke's Gospel, uh, at the end of Luke's Gospel, he, um, he gives us this description of, of the end of Christ's ministry. Christ is, has come and he's, he's, been, he, he's served and he has, he has ministered and he has been crucified and he has risen again and now he's gathered his disciples. And this is picking up at the, uh, the end of the, the, uh, the gospel, um, chapter 24, picking up in verse 44. Jesus says this. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So I think if, you're, if, you, if you hear the two things we've heard this morning, the end of the gospel of Luke and the beginning of Acts, you can see there are some parallels here. There's a sense in which Luke at the beginning of Acts is retelling the story that he tells at the end of, of, uh, of his gospel talks about him about Jesus bringing his disciples together and and telling them what it is that they are to do and he tells them that they are witnesses 
They're witnesses of these things. So I was puzzling over that a little bit. Why is it that at the beginning of Acts, Luke decided to, in a sense, repeat what he said at the end of his gospel and then maybe just give it a little bit of a twist? I mean, he could have very easily just begun the book of Acts after the ascension. He'd already told the story of the ascension. If you took, put these two things together, as, in, as, as theologians think of it, as Luke acts, one continuous story, he could have just continued. He could have just picked it up post-ascension. But at the, at the beginning of his this story of the, the founding of the church, he, he, wanted to, he wanted to reinforce something, I think. And I think he wanted to reinforce this idea of witness. Really what we're going to talk about this morning is just this, just this one verse, verse 8, where he says, where Jesus says, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I think really what Luke is trying to do here is to give us uh, an outline. You could make a strong argument that this one verse is an outline, a thematic outline for the entire book of Acts. He's telling us from the very beginning what it is that he's going to tell us as he describes the founding and the growth of the church. He tells us that it's spirit-empowered. He tells us that the essence of what the church does as it goes is, is witness. And he tells us that it's going to begin in, in this small circle and then expand in concentric circles to what he calls the end of the earth. I think that's the formula that we're going to see. I think that's the pattern that we're going to see. That's what we're looking for. Uh, there are, um, I counted them up, about 39, I might have missed one or two, so I'm saying about 39 references to the word witness in its various forms, either in a noun form or in a, in a verb form in the book of Acts. I think it's pretty clear that what Luke was trying to give us was a, a theme. As we're going, what are we doing? We're, we're witnessing. And again, the first element, the first characteristic, the first thing about this going about this witnessing is that it, it is spirit empowered. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's interesting. He, uh, he, he uses the words you will. This is, a, this is a verb in the future tense. This is something that is going to happen. Now, for those of us who, when we use future tense verbs, often we are using, we are saying things that we that we hope will happen. That if all goes well, we believe will happen. But when Jesus says that something is going to happen in the future, I think we can we can give it a little more weight, perhaps a lot more weight. It has both an element of prophecy and an element of promise. You see, he's telling us what's going to happen. That. He's telling his disciples that they are going to receive power, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them, that that is going to happen. But it's also a promise. He's telling them this is going to happen and you can count on it. This is something that you can rely on. I think it's the means by which, if you think of the Great Commission, when Jesus says at the end of the Great Commission, and lo and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age, you think about it, he says that, and then he's ascended up into heaven. 
you might they might leave you with a question. Well, if you're going to be with us, Jesus, through the end of the age, then and then you just leave. Well, how is that possible? Well, I think Jesus is telling us that's the way that that that, that actually works. He is with us to the end of the age because his spirit has come. At, at, at this moment, his spirit is going to come. It's coming very soon, beginning of chapter 2. You see the coming of the Holy Spirit. But he's making this promise, and I think that's a fulfillment of what he says in the Great Commission. That's the way that he is with us to the end of the age. It's also a fulfillment of a promise that he made uh, in the Gospel of John. This is um, from John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. When we get to this part of John, when we get back to John and get to chapter 15, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in, in, in the upper room, and the upper room discourse. This is what he said to his disciples in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. There's that same word, that idea that we are to be witness bearers, the verb form of this noun that we see in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. And it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, we'll see if you, if you go forward just the beginning of the next chapter in Acts, you see the Holy Spirit coming in power. And then everything that happens from this point forward, from, from that day to this day, from, from that day, the day of Pentecost, to this day, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The means by which we are witnesses is the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. I don't know about you, to me that's very good news. <laughs> I'm sure it was very good news to the disciples as they heard it. Because as they were gathered together in the upper room, not sure what they were supposed to do, how they were supposed to fulfill this mission that Jesus had given to them, it must have seemed very daunting. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and they move out in boldness, bearing witness to what Jesus had done. I think the same is true for us. To the extent that we are in any way able to step forward and step out in boldness and declare what Jesus Christ has done, to bear witness to what he has done, we do it only in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we try to do it any other way, it's not going to be effective. If we try to move without the Spirit, if we don't let the Spirit move in us and through us, it's not going to be an effective witness. But Jesus promised it. Jesus promised that our witness would be spirit-empowered. And, and it's, it's, also, um, if you, it's also a personal witness. Th this came to me, I don't know if I'd ever noticed this before, probably, you know, as I, as I was reading this verse over and over again, this, this little word, my. This little word, my. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't just say you will be witnesses. He says you will be my witnesses. Grammatically, my is a personal pronoun. We're going to be witnesses for Jesus. Witnesses on Jesus' behalf. We are here and witnessing because of what Jesus has done. 
I guess that's one element. We are witnesses for him, but we're also witnesses of him. We are bearing witness to what he has accomplished. And in a sense, it's also a personal witness for us, isn't it? One of the things we're called to do is to, is to give an account for the hope that, that is within us, to, to testify to, to bear witness to what Christ has done for us, to the transforming power of the gospel in our lives. I think in a way that's the primary thing that we bear witness to because that's what we know. We have witnessed the transforming power of the Spirit in our lives. We've, we've witnessed the transforming, transforming power of the Spirit in the lives of others. I really think that's, that's the primary thing that we can bear witness to. And I think the primary thing we're bearing witness to is the resurrection. We see that throughout the, the book of Acts. Um, you just have to look down a little bit further. Um, when they're beginning to look for somebody to take the place of Judas, this is what it says. It says, uh, this is in verse, 20, uh, verse 21. Um, one of the men who have accompanied, accompanied, accompanied us, easy for me to say, accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. A witness to his resurrection. Or if you flip ahead to, uh, to, um, to Peter's sermon, just a portion of it. This is picking up in verse 22 of chapter 2. After the Spirit has come, Peter is enabled by, empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach this amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost. He says this, picking up in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did you did, did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up by delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Or this, this is from um, chapter 17, uh, verses 30 and 31. I can get there. One page away. can't get the page to turn. Uh, there we go. All right. This is uh, Paul addressing uh, the, the Greeks on the, uh, on the Areopagus. Uh, this is near the end of his little sermonette there. He says this, uh, verses 30 and 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Again, the resurrection, a key part of Paul's witness. And then this, this is from chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. This is Paul um, speaking before Agrippa, and he says this, to this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying, that noth saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by, that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. So here it is again and again, over and over, as you see the witness proclaimed throughout the book of Acts, the key component of that is Jesus and his resurrection. 
that Jesus came, that he took our sin upon him, and that he rose from the dead. And there's another you will here. I don't if you notice, if you notice that. He, remember, he said, you will receive power. And then he said, you will be my witnesses. Those are the two verbs in this statement, by the way. When we looked at the Great Commission, we saw that there was a main verb, make disciples, and then some participles that, that, that add to that, that expounded on that, 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 that made it more detailed, the going and the, and the, and the gathering and the teaching. Uh, it was interesting to me as I read this sort of Great Commission here in Acts 1.8, there are no imperatives. There are no orders. There are no commands here. Uh, specifically, uh, I'll say it this way, none of these verbs are in the imperative sense. And yet when you see this, you will. You will be my witnesses. I think just as the you will, you will receive power, there's a, there's a prophetic element and there's a promise element. I think in a sense here, there is a, pres a prescriptive element an imperative element, if you will. Even though it's not really an imperative verb, I think there's an implied imperative here. I mean, you think about it. We, we do this. Talk to our kids. When we say, you will clean your room, we're not prophesying. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not even promising. That's, that's an implied imperative, right? And I think the same sense is here. When he says, you will be my witnesses, make no, make no mistake, Jesus is giving a command here, even though it's not in the imperative sense. He's telling his disciples, he's telling us that this personal witness of ours, this witness to his person, this witness to what he has done, it's, it's a prescription, it's an imperative. It is something that we are commanded to do. And then one more element here in Acts 1.8. It is a spirit-empowered witness. It is a, it is a personal witness. It's also a global witness. I mentioned that already, that it begins in these concentric circles in, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's, it starts and then it, and it goes out and out and out in these concentric circles until it reaches to the end of the earth, to the very end of the earth. Uh, I think in a, in a way, just as Acts 1-8 is sort of a thematic outline of the book, it's also an outline of the way that the, the book progresses. If you look at it, in the first few chapters, say chapters 2 through 7, we see the, we see the witness in Jerusalem. And then if you pick up in chapter 8 and go about to the end of chapter 12, you see the witness that goes then to all Judea and then to Samaria. And then if you pick it up in, verse, in chapter 13 and go to the end of the book, then we see the, the witness going to the end of the earth. I think it's, again, it's our echoes here of the Great Commission, where Jesus says that we are going to be going to, to all nations. Uh, we, we see it as, as the book progresses that it goes, at least in Luke's account, as far as Rome, where we find at the end of the story... We see Paul ministering, bearing witness, preaching and teaching in Rome. Um, traditionally, it goes farther, further than that. The, the story doesn't end there in Acts 28. Traditionally, Paul writes from his first imprisonment, and then he goes and he's released, and at least by tradition, he ends up uh, going as far as Spain, which would have been, at that time, the end of the earth. It was as far away as you could get if you're going, if you're going west. 
was the most westerly part of the earth at that point. In fact, um, there's a, uh, uh, an early church father named Clement who writes about that. He wrote a letter to the, to the Corinthians and he talks about Paul making his ministry going to the extent of the west. He uses words like that. Um, you know, it's not something we can necessarily prove. It's certainly not uh, attested to by scripture, but it's certainly it is attested to by, by church tradition that Paul, in his ministry, went to the, the, the end of the known earth at that time. So there's this essence, there's this uh, essential part of this mission is that it is a global witness. Empowered by the Spirit, witnessing to what God has done, witnessing to what he has accomplished for us, witnessing to his death and burial and resurrection, we go to the ends of the earth, very witness to those things. But it's not just spirit-empowered. It's not just personal. It's not just global. As I said, this verse is, in a sense, an outline for the entire book. I think if we, if we keep going out into the book, we see there are some other things about this, about this witness. It's, a, it's, a, it's an all-encompassing witness. What I mean by that is that it's, it includes everyone. It's not just for a certain people, but it is for, for all people. Um, you think about what, what happens in Acts chapter 10 and, and, and chapter 11, where Peter is sent to this Roman centurion named Cornelius, and, and the gospel makes, it, makes his first foray into, into the Gentile world. And then... Uh, in, in chapter 8, when, you, when, when, when there's an Ethiopian eunuch that, that Philip is sent to minister to. And then from, from 13 onward, really, the, the focus of the ministry, the focus of the witness is to the Gentile world. In Acts chapter 16, when, when Paul's in Philippi and he, and he ministers both to this businesswoman named Lydia and also to a jailer. It, it, it's, a, it's a gospel, it's a witness that, that encompasses all people, all classes, all, all nations, tribes, and tongues, and languages. That's what this witness is for. That's who this witness is to. It's, in, it's inclusive. No one is left out. No one is left out. No, 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 no one by their, by their economic class, or by their gender, or by their, or by their ethnicity. It includes... Everyone is intended to be completely and entirely inclusive. And it's also a witness that has an element of, uh, of suffering. It's a witness that carries with it an element of suffering. The, the word that is translated witness here is actually martyres. I'm probably butchering the Greek there. Martyres. You hear in that word the English word martyr. It's both in the noun form and in the verb form. This, this idea of martyrdom, it's part and parcel of, it's inter integral to what it means to be a witness. It's, a, it's an expectation. You think of Acts chapter 7, the, the martyrdom of, of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the first person who gave his life because of his testimony, because of his witness. And then I've always been struck by this, um, what, what we see in Acts chapter 8 at the very beginning. Um, I think there's a, there's, I don't know if it's intentional, the, 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 whoever first broke, this, broke the Bible up into chapters and verses, if he intended that Acts 
8.1 be sort of parallel to Acts 1.8? Because remember it says in Acts 1.8 that you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and then in all Judea and Samaria. Up to the end of chapter 7, the witness has been, uh, has been exclusive to Jerusalem. And then chapter, one, chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Paul approved of Stephen's execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You see what I'm saying? The impetus for the spreading beyond Jerusalem, out into Judea and Samaria specifically, those places that Jesus said would come next after Jerusalem, what was the impetus for that? Suffering. It was, it was persecution. It was persecution that finally got the people off the dime to move out from Jerusalem, out to the areas where Jesus said they were, they were going to go. And then this, this is from Acts chapter 9. Verses 15 and 16. This is from the conversion of Saul. This is... Um, the Lord speaking to Ananias, who was to go and tell Paul what his mission was. And it says this, the Lord said to him, the Lord said to Ananias, go for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name, to bear witness, if you will, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, that's Paul. Not necessarily normative or prescriptive, but certainly for Paul's ministry, part of his bearing witness was, was suffering. And if you want to just kind of get a laundry list of what Paul suffered, I uh, invite you to study this on your own. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verses 22 through 28. Paul gives a pretty extensive list of all the things that he suffered. I was reading an article um, this week or before uh, came out in Christianity Today and it talked about all the places in the world where Christians today suffer. All the countries around the world where Christians today are, are either being, they're being martyred, killed, or, or persecuted. Churches are being closed and churches are being assailed because of the witness that they provide. This isn't something that was just first century happening today in our world, around the world, primarily in countries that are, primar that, are, uh, 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 that are Islamic. There's a lot of Islamic persecution going on of the church today, and it's happening right in our world. And uh, it's, I think sometimes we feel insulated from that here in this country. You know, we have people that are members of this church that are in a country today where they are not welcome. If they were to be out and about and blatant with the witness, they would, uh, they would undergo persecution. I think that's something that we need to bear in mind, that part of this witness is a sense, in a sense, there's a, there's a martyrdom that comes with being an effective witness. Now, Peter says this. This is, this is 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter, who was... Um, no stranger to suffering uh, himself, he said this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Suffering, it's, it's a part of our witness. I think it's what we should expect as we make our witness known. And it's also a unified witness. I, I said earlier that it was a, a personal witness, so something that we witness to about what God has done for us personally. But it's also a witness that we have because of what he has done for us corporately, what he has done for us as a body. This is, again, from Acts chapter 2. This is after Paul, uh, after Peter's Pentecost, day of Pentecost sermon. This is the result of that sermon, of that witness. It says this, picking up in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think it's, it's important that we notice that, that, the, that the, the addition of people to the, the body came about in a great sense because of the unity that they had. They were all together. And that togetherness, that, be, that, that, that being unified was, uh, was a witness. It witnessed to who Jesus was and what he had done for them. Or this, this is maybe even a little bit more explicit. This is from chapter 4. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony, literally bearing witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was this element of uni unifiedness in their witness. They were all together. This was a witness that was, was unified. And finally, we'll end with this. This witness was, was effective. This witness was effective. Again, and this is from, uh, from Peter's sermon in chapter 2. He says this, this is picking up in verse 37. At the end of the sermon, this was the response. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and, com and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. About 3,000 souls. I'd say that's an effective witness. And we see it as we go through the remainder of the book, that this witness, it bore fruit. That the word as it went forth did not return void. This is um, from chapter 11. Verses 19 through 21. Look at this. If I can turn the page. 
says this. This is, this is uh, from the church in Antioch. It says, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Or this from chapter 13, verses 48 and 49. When the Gentiles heard, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and many as his, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Or this. This is sort of the final word. This is as we see the Apostle Paul in Rome. The last words. The book of Acts ends this way. It says this, verses 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And without hindrance. It's interesting to me that the, the very last word is that there is boldness and freedom in this witness, in, in Paul's witness in particular, but I think in any witness that is empowered by the Spirit. There is boldness and there is freedom that we are able to testify without hindrance. And again, the story doesn't end here. You know, we're a we're an Acts 29 affiliated church. The reason that Acts 29 exists is because the story doesn't end here. The story doesn't end in Acts 28. The story extends from Paul's ministry in Rome and even as he perhaps went as far as Spain. Now the ministry, the witness, the testimony has spread to the world. It's, it, it came to us. And we're beneficiaries of that testimony. And now we are given the opportunity to go. We're, we're, we're given the opportunity to be a part of this story. The story doesn't end here. It doesn't end with the end of the book of Acts. In fact, the story continues to this day. And what we are to do as the called ones of Christ is to bear witness. To bear witness to what he has done for us. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are able to go forth boldly and, and in a sense, without hindrance. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as the Spirit goes with us, as we take the word to this community, to our Jerusalem, and to the Judea and Samaria that we have been called to, and as we, either through our prayers or through our giving, or yes, through our through our going, we are able to bear witness to what Christ has done. Will you, will you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge that it is a great miracle that you choose to use us at all. We are earthen vessels. We are jars of clay. We're, we're frail. We're, we're fallen. And yet you choose to give us the privilege to be your hands and your feet, to speak your word, to bear witness to who Jesus is and what he has done, to take the gospel, 
the good news that there is salvation and there is forgiveness through Christ. You give us the opportunity to be a part of that. In fact, you, you command us to be a part of that. To, to make disciples as we're going. And as we're going, we are to bear witness to Jesus and who he is and what he has done. So, Lord, I pray that we would grow in our faithfulness in this area, what, whatever you have called us to, whether it's to, to pray. We are, we're all called to pray, to, to give. We're, we're all called to give. And in a sense, we're all called to go somewhere, whether it's just here in, in our Jerusalem or to, or to go maybe a little bit further. And perhaps some here this morning are called to go somewhere nearer to or perhaps even to the end of the earth. You know, whatever you have called us to, Lord, maybe we fa- may we be faithful in our in our going. Lord, we uh, thank you that it is through the power of your Spirit that we are able to do this. Lord, we bless you and we we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.